coming up on policy wise what we're doing is we're basically trying to get young people vaccinated only 32 percent of young people right now like 0 to 17 are vaccinated which is not a lot at all and like a good amount of them are like only partially vaccinated which isn't great because of accessibility like it's so much better to have like a vaccine clinic and like your neighborhood apart. It sounds like what Vaccinate 58 is doing is really trying to also making vaccines accessible to young people who are maybe in situations where their parents maybe aren't on board with them getting vaccinated. I kind of went behind my mom's back to get the vaccine. It was, it was a crazy moment. I got it at a drag show. It was great. After the assembly last week, which is a really good sign. I know in San Francisco, I think it's more broadly just medical autonomy for people 12 and older. A lot of us don't have control over what happens to us because our parents, their views don't align with it, or they have specific religious or, you know, uh, political beliefs that we don't uh, necessarily align with. I think something I've noticed is when it comes to a lot of services and things that people depend on, is that they are still kind of abundant in North Side. But when it comes to places like Southeast and West Side, there really isn't much of anything. If you need something, you gotta wait in line for it for two hours or travel across city. And most of us can't do that. You know, most of the people on these sides of Fresno's work and we can't afford to take that time off. This is a lot and it's really terrifying that a lot of people don't care and they're not taking it seriously. And, you know, people walking around without masks and vaccines and spreading this disease that could very well kill people we love. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Policy Wise. We're here to record another amazing episode today with some of our friends from Vaccinate All 58. I'm Ellie. Let me introduce myself first and foremost. I'm here to host with the one and only Michael Liafe. We've got some wonderful guests here to talk about this campaign to get people vaccinated from COVID. So I'll kick it off to Ashens, one of our first guests. Can you uh, introduce yourself and talk a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, my name is Ashens Limon. My pronouns are he, him. I'm 17 years old. And right now I work with Rep 559 and we are doing a campaign called Vaccinate 58, basically trying to, you know, get people vaccinated. I also do some youth journalism with the No Youth Media. And um, those are basically my priorities of what I'm doing right now. Amazing. So great to have you on Ashens. We also have another Michael on the call, our other guest. So it's a double Michael situation over here today. Michael, our guest, Michael, could you please introduce yourself and talk a bit about what you do with Vaccinate 58? Hey, yeah. So uh, I'm the other Michael. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm a senior at Sunnyside High School. I'm 18 years old, and I've been doing a lot of work with the No uh, Youth Media. And when it comes to like vaccines and this kind of work, I have more experience with other organizations like 99 Roots and Power California. Uh, as far as uh, Vaccinate 58 goes, I haven't done much on this campaign. It's mainly been Ashen's, uh, him and Cato like spearheading this. Uh, I kind of just got pulled in for a couple of the things in this. That was me and policy wise. They'll rope you in and they'll they'll get you. You think you're you think you're coming for one thing, and then all of a sudden you're there a year later and you're doing the most with everyone. It's great. Um, okay, yes. Well, thank you guys both for joining. I'm really excited to have you both on. Um, Ashens, maybe since since you are a bit more involved with Vaccinate 58, can you tell us a bit more about what this campaign is? Like, what is it? What are you trying to accomplish? Um, 
yeah and i guess what does your your guys's work look like what we're doing is we're basically trying to get young people vaccinated um and like mobilize vaccine continue to do that because like right now i feel like we're like at the quote-unquote end of covid even though it's you know covid's still going what is it it's like only 32 percent of young people right now like zero to 17 are vaccinated which is not a lot at all and like a good amount of them are like only partially vaccinated which isn't great and um, one of the things that we're going to be doing is having a mobile vaccine clinic which i think personally is super important because of accessibility like it's so much better to have like a vaccine clinic in like your neighborhood park like a five minute walk than having it at like a CVS that can be hard to get to or like having it at a clinic that a lot of the time is difficult for a lot of us to get to, especially with appointments and things like that. Um, and we're also trying to put out education into Fresno um, about the vaccines because a lot of like misinformation comes, you know, everywhere. Um, but especially in Fresno, since um, how our politics of the county are. Um, it, it's super important to get like information out there. We're doing a lot on our social media page. Um, we're, we're, you know, trying to send out as much information as we can really and continue to start mobilizing vaccines again. It sounds like what Vaccinate 58 is doing is really trying to also make vaccines accessible to people. And part of that group, I mean, all of us are included in that is young people and making vaccines accessible to young people who are maybe, um, in situations where their parents maybe aren't on board with them getting vaccinated. Um, I know, I believe the age of consent for vaccines in San Francisco is is 12 years old. Um, can either of you talk a bit about what, what that age of consent for vaccines, what that means, why it's important, particularly now amidst COVID-19 and the potential for vaccine mandates to be affecting, to be affecting people? That policy is called uh, SB 866, which I personally have a really deep connection to because my like whole vaccine story is I kind of went behind my mom's back to get the vaccine. Um, it was it was a crazy moment. I got it at a drag show. It was great. That's why I think mobilizing vaccines is also super important because like being able to do have mobility, go somewhere that's near you um, is, is important. But yeah, a lot of parents have a hard time with the vaccine especially in fresno where we're predominantly hispanic people of color and a lot of the time we think about like vaccinations like people who are anti-vax being like these like crazy white people who don't want to listen to the government but we also need to understand that there's like a lot of historical stuff with people of color and vaccines and that there's like real fear there and um you know specifically with my family that's really where the fear was coming from and I feel that it's it's important for young people to be able to um, have control of their own body um, because us young people know a little more about like what's going on right now and we should have the right to be able to get vaccinated at whatever age without having to go behind our parents back. Um, I think like a lot of like, um, like vaccines for uh, uh, STIs and things like that are, are like legal for young people to get. Yet, like, the vaccine for COVID, which is, like, crazy, like, people are dying. People are, you know, having a hard time with this. And I, I feel like that should be, like, a priority of what we should make legal for young people to consent about. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's right now it's, like, just in San Francisco, but it's also, like, going through, like, all of the parts of government right now. Um, in California to try to implement it in like all counties everywhere in California, which I'm super excited about. I'm really following that because I 
I think it's important and like going and seeing what I've been through and like seeing other like young people struggle with like you know just feeling the guilt feeling scared about like getting COVID about getting their family COVID is like is, is really real yeah absolutely and I'm definitely gonna try to tap into that that story that you mentioned we're definitely getting back around to your vaccination story later um yeah I, I guess I about the statewide level or the statewide push for this. Do you have any information on what that's looking like right right now? Is is this something that, I don't know, does it sound or does it seem like this is something that we could see passed on a statewide level, having young people have this medical autonomy at age 12 to get vaccinated? Um, yeah, I guess what's what's the, I don't want to use the word vibe, but what's the vibe of this policy at the statewide level right now? <laughs> That was funny. Ellie. That I was know good. I didn't. I didn't want to do it, but I couldn't think of another word on the fly. No, so no, we just had to. <laughs> what's the vibe? Honestly, valid. There, <laughs> there is a vibe going on. Um, so it is like actually like going through like the government, and it's not like just an idea that's being put out there. It's like it's it's happening, and it hasn't gotten to Governor Newsom yet. Um, it's getting there. It will. Um, I don't know specifically where it's at. Um, I don't. I don't know how too much of California politics work um, but it's 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 in there it's deep like in the in the thing um but right now a lot of like anti-vax folks are against it as you know they will be and um I, I feel like that's probably one of the biggest pushbacks right now like right now it's like passed through like the courts with like the minimum amount of votes like to get it there um which is uh, but it's it, at least it's out there and I feel like if we get it to Newsom, I'm like 80% sure that it'll be passed. Um, I don't see why it wouldn't be, you know? Um, but yeah, right now we're just seeing a lot of pushback from anti-vax folks and like saying like, don't don't control my kids' bodies, stuff like that, even though, you know, young people deserve to do what they want to their bodies, um, especially when it comes to their health. Hmm. Totally. Yeah, that's, a, that's a really good point. If you don't mind me hopping in here, Ellie. Um, I thought I'd talk about where the bill's at. I did look it up, <laughs> actually, before the episode started and was just kind of doing a little bit of digging. Um, it is moving through, and it is, like, one of the the hot pieces, I would say, because just yesterday it was referred to a committee, which means that they are making decisions on it, like, as we speak, basically. Um, and it passed through the Assembly last week, which is a really good sign. Which means it passed one of the houses. It'll have to go through another house. Um, and then... If they make major changes, it'll have to go back to the original house and then to the governor if if approved. But it's looking it's looking like it's along party lines, um, which is somewhat classic. But it is it, it looks like it's going to get to Governor Newsom's desk, I think, unless there's any major changes that occur in the next few weeks. And there's no budget on it. And so nobody's going to be too, too angry um, since they're not going to have to shell up any money. Do either of you know, is this about just straight up vaccine consent? Is this that what the statewide bill is about? Because I know in San Francisco, I think it's more broadly just medical autonomy for people 12 and older, which has other medical implications, which maybe we could get into as well. So do either of you know if this is just vaccine? I think so, because the title of the bill itself is Minors Vaccine Consent. Perfect. Yep, that answers my question. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, I mean, I guess going back to to the San Francisco policy of just more broad medical autonomy for young people, um, are there other relevant implications about this? I know there's obviously 
a pretty broad national conversation right now about abortion access. Um, do you guys have any thoughts about about what this medical autonomy is looking like in San Francisco in regards to, I guess, just beyond vaccines? Well, I definitely think this is a part of a broader conversation about, you know, like young people having control over their bodies. Uh, if you see in San Francisco, there's already a precedent for this. They have laws that say um, people 12 years and older can consent to things like reproductive care and um, other medical help like that. So, you know, there's already a precedent for stuff like this, but I definitely think that it's not just going to be related to vaccines because once this gets passed, a lot more people are going to be seeing young people as more capable, I guess. Um, they're going to start giving us more bodily autonomy, more control over our lives because uh, specifically with this vaccine uh, issue, but also with a lot of other things like reproductive health, uh, a lot of us don't have control over what happens to us because our parents, their views don't align with it or they have specific religious or you know, uh, political beliefs that we don't uh, necessarily align with. So it's just, uh, I think this is definitely going to have like more ramifications nationally when it comes to young people having control. And that really makes me wonder, <clears throat> kind of around like, now I'm forgetting the word. Political. The word is not vibes. That's no, yeah, for sure vibes. what it's not. <laughs> definitely not vibes. Um, <laughs> Polarization, that's the word. Like political polarization between generations. This is basically, I mean, at this point, for some reason, vaccine hesitancy is very real and has become a political issue. That, that individual health has become a political issue. And because there seems to be an intergenerational line with, you know, some folks of the generations before us and then young people who are growing up with a different set of access to information at a younger age, um, I'm just seeing this as a good that young people have access to healthcare that for their own benefit um, regardless of their parents political beliefs but also i wonder just how much this also is is a sign of political polarization between generations but that was not a question and it wasn't going anywhere it was just more of a comment and just kind of <laughs> observing um, how the world is changing yeah i mean i also think in terms of how the world is changing i've been noticing i mean i'm here in Berkeley and on campus, I remember it was like February or something and they got rid of in-class mask mandates out of nowhere. Um, like no one had even asked for that really. And I remember just being so shocked. Um, and I think I, I think what we're seeing is that in a lot of ways COVID is now being downplayed even in areas that like once had some of the strictest lockdown procedures in place. And I kind of want to uh, talk about this. I feel like it's a conversation that's not being had as often as it should be, but about about how COVID is both impacting the disabled community while also actively creating disabilities in some people due to its long-term health effects. And yeah, I mean, do you think that this is a piece of the conversation that's missing? Do you think that this is an issue that COVID is now being downplayed as maybe something that's not as much of a threat to public health for the general population while actively ignoring the harms that it, it can pose to the disabled community? Uh, I think this definitely is a missing piece of the conversation. Uh, since the start of the pandemic, we've seen a very blatant disregard for disabled people from policymakers and even our own communities. We see a lot of the time that people say, you know, it's okay that only certain people are dying. It's okay that only high-risk people are dying because they had these pre-existing conditions. We're seeing that like a lot of disabled people are basically being dehumanized. 
that their deaths are being labeled as okay because because what they're less than it's just it's really disgusting and a lot of people blatantly ignore it because it doesn't affect them because they're not disabled or their families aren't so why should they care but a lot of us have disabled family or we're disabled and this is this is a lot and it's really terrifying that a lot of people don't care and they're not taking it seriously and you know people walking around without masks and vaccines and spreading this disease that could very well kill people we love uh, and a lot of people completely ignore that because they, they don't know what that's like. Uh, I think it's definitely more important that we start settling disabled people. Uh, we really need to put their needs at the front because they're the most vulnerable. And I think any policy making or any, you know, anytime we deal with a situation like a pandemic, we should be centering the most vulnerable people first. Uh, so yeah, I definitely think that's a huge part of the conversation that needs to be brought up more. Yeah, like you said, it is a piece of the conversation that we're not seeing on the scale that we should be seeing. And I think a lot of the messaging that we see around COVID right now is about, it's almost like a celebratory thing. Like, okay, like finally we're getting back to this sense of normal. And a lot of people are really excited about that. And that's really what we're seeing at the forefront. So I guess what would you both say is important in terms of how should we restructure this conversation like what messaging should we be having to maybe um, help people who are not tapped into this issue begin to understand the severity of COVID and how it's still a really important issue that needs to be taken seriously now and also moving forward and also when we think about I mean right now the the issue is COVID but in the future, there's likely going to be some other health things that are going around where young people may need to access their own health care. Um, and so it's also thinking about policy as not only doing what we need to do for right now to make sure that people have the resources that they need and are protected, but also how do we write something that's going to last, outlive the, the current issue of today and still be able to apply to issues that might rise in the future. Um, and that's where it gets a little bit more theoretical. And I think that this is kind of pushing 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 the bounds of the way that the U.S. has handled health issues in the past, whether it's uh, the AIDS uh, epidemic or whether it's, you know, some others um, in allowing young people to, to have a little bit more agency there. I'm just curious, how do we start changing this messaging or what would you both say is important to what is the word that we should be getting out there in order to, to get people to start taking this issue more seriously if they're not really tapped into how this impacts the disabled community still? I feel like the system has never been here for disabled people. Like the acknowledgement of disabled people, the representation of disabled people has never been a priority for the United States, for like our our government. And I feel like one of the first steps to that is, is again, education. Um, being like understanding that like the mask mandate isn't just like, oh, like we're wearing masks, like so we need to keep each other safe. Like this was literally killing people. Like this is disabling people. Um, we can't keep having like um, these like celebrations about COVID when like COVID's not over. This is still a thing. Like there can be like three people with COVID and COVID isn't over. Like this, this is like a real, a real thing going on. And like, this is like hurting people. And like, this is like making people like, financially unstable it's 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 doing a lot of things than just making a few people sick um and and i feel like again education we need to tell people like this like understand like who you're hurting like with your attitude like this by not getting vaccinated by um not wearing masks 
Is this type of education or I guess information sharing something that Vaccinate 58 is also trying to do as a campaign? Totally, definitely. All types of education is really what we want to get out there. Um, I feel like disability um, representation is especially important because it's not something that we see as often as we should. And as like a campaign that we're doing, we need to push that out there as like, like to be responsible, you know? Um, but I feel like that's something that we can really like really get into in Vaccinate 58. As we've just been saying right now, there's obviously still severe health implications from COVID that need to be taken seriously. But are there also any implications for like federal and private like workers' disability insurance programs and I guess support services that we're seeing? Like on the policy side of this, how is the spread of COVID and how is COVID as it affects our disabled community impacting some of these support services that we that we see and that people rely on? Okay, so when it comes to like the services and everything the government gives, the vibe it's not popping. It is not there. Uh, I have uh, my, my, my mom is like really high risk. She has a lot of disabilities. And so I've pretty much grown up knowing how messed up that system is. It's always been trash. Uh, and I guess COVID has really exposed that. It's kind of dug that up. Uh, we're seeing with like long COVID and uh, a lot of the health issues that come with having COVID. We're getting a lot more disabled people now and a lot more people who need to rely on these systems. And not only that, the people who already do need to more so because the risk that COVID poses. And we're seeing that the structure isn't built to support that. I mean, it was barely it was barely able to support the people it had before the pandemic. And now it's being overloaded and it can barely hold itself up. So I guess it's just showing like how little the government actually puts into those services, uh, how I guess ineffective they are. Because uh, like I said before, I mean, it was it was near impossible to actually get any assistance from those programs. You had to basically sacrifice an arm and a leg in like three work weeks to try getting anything done. Uh, and now it's even harder. So I guess it's just showing how awful the system's always been. And now people are starting to realize that this needs to change. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think we've been talking about this in some ways on kind of a statewide or a broader level. But y'all are based in Fresno, at least the two of you are, um, even though it's a statewide campaign. And I, I'm curious what this, you know, return to normalcy, as it's as it's being called, from COVID is playing out on a local level around you. Like, what are you both seeing in terms of maybe what services or access to vaccines or testing is like no longer being offered? Just, I guess, what's the what's the vibe of, of COVID and this return to normalcy in Fresno? We're having like less clinics go on in Fresno. Uh, clinics are really sparse and like just hard to get a, in an appointment in general. Um, I, I find that a lot because I'm always a little sick. Um, but yeah, we're we're getting less funding from from the government for COVID related things like having mobile vaccines just on every corner like it was like in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, you know, it's basically oh, it's all normal now here in Fresno even though it's not especially here cuz we're the fifth biggest city in California and um it's it's really dense here. It's really like a lot of people in one place type thing. And when one like small outbreak happens, it's 
it, it affects all of Fresno. And I, I think that we really need to recognize that and keep continuing to have these like vaccine clinics to have these COVID text testing sites instead of just it's all normal now type thing. And where do you where do you get your ideas from? I mean, is there another part of California? Like where where do you pull from some of these ideas or are you just kind of homegrown, you know, having discussions with folks? growing it at home and saying, this is what will work for my community. I, I see a lot of like different things from different areas of California where it's like, I'll see a video and I'm like, why don't we have that in Fresno? I think Fresno is as much of a big city we are, we don't have as many services as many other cities because of one reason or another. Um, our, our we have, we're like a red county. And I think that really plays into like the reasons why we don't see a lot of the services that we could have, especially like pertaining to COVID. Um, it's just kind of like when it's done, it's done type thing, especially with our mayor, Jerry Dyer, who I don't love. Uh, he's he's a sucky person and like he's gonna be like once like COVID is over, COVID is over. Um, he's he's not gonna want to put any more money into like the um education into vaccine clinics into like continuing to mobilize vaccines and i think that we really need to talk about it right now before it goes way too far and like we're just not seeing anything yeah absolutely um i'm curious what this you know i guess kind of defunding of a lot of these services and accessibility just decreasing for things like vaccines and for testing how is this impacting you and your communities on I guess a daily or a weekly basis, how is this actually affecting the people that maybe rely on these services or, or really need them to feel secure, safe, or, or to be healthy? Yeah, like accessibility is one of the biggest things, in my opinion, when it comes to services pertaining to COVID. Because like, again, a lot of things in Fresno are really sparse. You can only go to a specific area to get those types of services. And we need like these things everywhere. Um, right now, what we're really seeing is like, you know, mask mandates going down. Uh, right now, I like just got an email yesterday from Fresno City. I, I go to Fresno City and um, like saying that we no longer need a vaccine mandate and that how like, you know, masks are optional starting in the next semester or the summer semester. Um, and like, I'm so concerned about that, especially here in Fresno where like, you know, things are densely populated. And like, again, like I said, once one outbreak happens, we're all sick, it's it's all over. And like, with this funding not being here, like just already, like it's, it's gonna be a bit of a shit show, you know? Um, and I think that we just, we need to prioritize this before everything else comes because right now, you know, we're seeing no like, lowering the vaccine mandate uh no more masks type thing and like people are excited about this and like i'm not saying we shouldn't but we shouldn't um we should acknowledge like the people that we can be getting sick like the dis disabled community like you know communities that have really low access to things um like vaccines like testing and like right now like if you get covid well, you only get like a week off and like that's that's crazy like we really need to monitor covid right now we need to monitor the sickness because it's it's not gonna be great you know i think something i've noticed is when it comes to a lot of services and things that people depend on is that they are still kind of abundant in north side for the young white people but when it comes to places like southeast and west side 
there really isn't much of anything. If you need something, you got to wait in line for it for two hours or travel across city. And most of us can't do that. You know, most of the people on these sides of Fresno's work and we can't afford to take that time off. Uh, so I think the community, it, Jerry Dyer, yeah, when Ashton said for one reason or another, we knew he was the reason. Uh, he very much likes to project the image that he cares about the community, but we see that the community he cares about is not all of Fresno. It's, like I said, Northside or the areas with young, rich, white people who bring in money and the kind of attention that he wants. Uh, so, yeah, I guess uh, the services are still there. It's just not accessible for the people who need them most. And that's something that needs to be prioritized more. Because uh, right now, the people who have the most access are the people who are already the most protected. And that that that's not that's not the vibe. Yeah, no, totally. I think that's a wonderful point. I mean, as much as the COVID conversation has maybe fizzled out is the wrong phrase, but I guess been kind of diminished or downplayed on a broad national scale. I think it's really important to think about the equity component of this too, where this is an issue where we need equity for young people. We need equity for people of color. We need equity for low-income communities and equity for disabled communities who are being like unduly marginalized by this issue and unsupported by this issue. So yeah, I think that was a wonderful point, Michael, and thank you for bringing that up. Um, I guess I guess I think it's time for the for the personal vaccination story, Ashens. If you're feeling up for it, um, I'd love to know what that experience was like, and I guess kind of the personal personal aspect of this, and and how I mean, your story I'm sure is one that's probably similar to a lot of other young people who are maybe struggling to get vaccinated. So I'd love to hear it. Let me be a little quiet right here because my mom's right there. She knows now, but it was it was a wild wild moment. It was what month is it? It was this time last year, um, like right when like the vaccine like was approved and stuff. And um, every all my like my my boyfriend Michael, um, our other friends had it, and like I felt just like you know like uh, this isn't like i need to take care of myself like i was i was scared of getting covid i was scared of giving my family covid because you know they're not vaccinated and they're they were already like against it i had asked my mom if i can get it and she was like yeah no definitely not and i was like okay cool i'm not gonna ask you again because you're gonna just say no again type thing and um it, it was kind of a last minute decision. We we went to a drag show, me and Michael, and um, they were having like a mobile vaccine clinic there. And I was like, okay, how am I gonna get this vaccine without like my parents' consent? And what I did is I FaceTimed my dad and I was like, give me, that man was not, not in his right mind at the time but like he was like oh yeah sure go give my give my kid the vaccine just just not the johnson and johnson one and i was like okay chill out um but yeah and then i i got like my first vaccine right there and like after that like i didn't get my next vaccine until like november like until recently which i think is another thing that like happens a lot like as we can see like only like the numbers aren't aren't correct when it comes to like getting your second vaccine and i feel like a lot of that comes to accessibility which is like basic which was my issue like i wasn't able to just like go to the clinic that was in fresno city 
from where I was at because it was it was just too far for me to go and um and I, I don't drive so it was just it was inaccessible for me um and then I I graduated high school early and to get into Fresno City you have to be vaccinated which I think is super important and which really kind of forced me into getting the next vaccine and so I was able to go to CVS I had my boyfriend drive me and get me the next vaccine and um yeah basically it was with like no knowledge of my family at all and um once once i did find out it was like pretty bad it was it was really awful for like a good like four months about like you know me betraying the family type thing and i feel like a lot of kids with like um uh anti-vax family have to go through that a lot and like compromise their um their health just for the opinions of other people um, my, my family, they, they got COVID in the beginning of the year and, um, my, my baby brother was just born. So he was just about like three months and, you know, he ended up getting COVID and I was the only one who didn't get COVID. And it was like really stressful for me. Cause I was like, okay, like he's like three months and he has COVID and like, we're still like looking at it, like in this way where it's like, this is the health of people like we're hurting people we're hurting the baby we're hurting everybody in this family right now because we're not vaccinated and like that was like really i mean i was already like open to like the vaccine of course but it was really eye-opening to me like how this is really hurting people how this is hurting like the babies how this is hurting like the older people like my mom right now like her hair has just been falling out because of COVID, because she had it in the beginning of the year, which is like apparently like a thing that happens. My aunt, who's a nurse, was telling us about it, and she's like, "Your guys' hair might fall out, just just so you know," which is like crazy. And I feel like, oh, we also need to talk about like the long-term effects of COVID. How like this is affecting our body. Like we don't know what the future has to come. Like you know, a lot of people's like taste and smell have been gone for like a good year, and it's it's crazy. And we, we really need to monitor how, how COVID is like affecting us long term and like also acknowledge how just COVID is happening and we, we need to realize that's why I'm really like like uh, stuck on the like getting young people to have like vaccine consent because of situations like this where they don't have to necessarily go behind their parents back and like do something like sort of illegal um, to get a vaccine. Um, we deserve to have our to 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 have health to have health care without like having to do it like under the table type thing um you know we need we are able to consent to our bodies when it comes to health care like that um we we deserve to have to be protected you know yeah that's wow just a really profound story and experience and i think it it really does like you said speak to how this isn't just a debate of like ideologies or outlooks or political preference or anything this is an issue that actively harms people that actively has health outcomes and yeah medical autonomy for people is something that's very very important something i've been just thinking about like what are some new and innovative ways to get young people vaccinated if they get to make their own decision and i'm thinking like vaccination sites at schools after like you know after school programs you'd be able to have those conversations in the classroom and it wouldn't be like some political news that happens of the day like teachers will be able to educate students on their own bodies like imagine your health class when you're able to actually make these decisions it's not just like 
oh, when you're an adult, when you're an adult, it's going to be like, oh, no, you can do this now. Anyway, that, those are just the things running through my head of like, it's not just young people being able to make those decisions, but it's it's going to open the door to an entire access uh, to it's going to open the door for further access to information um, for young people to be able to make their own decisions, which, which I don't think that there is any negatives to. And we need to be doing quite a bit more of that. But that's a rant for another day. Thousand percent. Absolutely agreed. Um, <clears throat> I know we asked this at the beginning of our conversation as well. Um, but I think given what we've talked about today, what do you think the key takeaways are about what Vaccinate 58 is trying to accomplish, why this work is important? Um, and yeah, I guess the final takeaways of what you want our listeners to know regarding this campaign and these efforts and what the vision is moving forward. What Michael, other Michael, was talking about. Um, when we're mobilizing vaccines right now, we're trying to get into youth spaces, specifically like we're thinking of skate parks, things like that. Um, there's like a really big skate park in Fresno, which I think is really important for us to go and have a clinic at. It's called uh, Lions Park. And um, it's just a really big community of people over there. And to get it there is to like, is to get into the youth, is to get into the people um, who, re who really need it, you know? And um, like I said, education. Education is like a, the, the big thing, the big thing that like I'm really focused on and um, mobilizing accessibility type thing to, to give the people of Fresno like the education to say like, we're okay. Like we can get the vaccine. Like we don't have to be so fearful of it. Um, like I said, th there's a lot of history with people of color and vaccines and that's what coming from a family who is anti-vax, that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing like what the concerns are about the vaccine. And I feel like that gives me a really um, different perspective of what other people see when it comes to anti-vax people. And like with that, I feel like I can use what I'm, what I'm hearing from my family into like, this is the facts, this is the truth, this is what's really going on. Education is really important. Uh, education is like, it's kind of like its own virus, but good. Cause like once you put it in the community, it just, it keeps spreading. And it's really important that our communities are educated on things like this, especially with how devastating it's been to us over the past few years. Uh, when it comes to this work in general, I think the most important thing for me at least is focusing on the individual. Cause we see a lot of like the policymakers and a lot of the, the conversation around COVID has centered around this group mentality of most of us are okay, you know, the healthy ones are okay, so this is fine. You know, they, they've kind of labeled the ones that have died like acceptable, I guess, and I don't think they're acceptable deaths at all. So I think it's really important to go back to the individual and saying like, these are people, each and every one of them are people that we need to protect. So I think that's, that's just why this kind of work in education is so important because we need to get more people in those mentalities well, thank you both so much for joining us today. This has been an amazing conversation. You both are really insightful about this issue. I feel like I've learned a lot and had my perspective definitely get get a vibe check during this conversation. Um, so I really appreciate you both joining us. I'm really excited about the work that you're doing with Vaccinate 58, and I'm excited to see to see how that continues and plays out. And I'll definitely be watching the bill that's that's in the legislature and see how that goes in terms of statewide vaccine accessibility for young people. So yeah, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. 
Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. It was cool getting to talk to you guys. Like, yeah, absolutely. It's great to hear you all doing doing such impactful work for your community at such a young age. I did not think about it that early on. So that's that's really awesome. This was Policy Wise, an intergenerational podcast by Youth Leadership Institute focused on bringing young people into the policy conversation. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at PolicyWisePod. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss, please slide into our DMs or send us an email at policywise at yli.org. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes.